Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher and church planter in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for his sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome back to Lose Yourself. We now rejoin our conversation with apologist and professor, Dr. Bill Roach. Recently, I was looking at the difference between how medieval gave way to modernity and modernity now to postmodern. It's like, it's funny how the questions do change through historical criticism of the Bible. Whereas a hundred years ago, it was more, like you said, more about explaining miracles or being able to justify certain aspects of it. And that now it's literally just, I don't like that. So how does one handle one is kind of more of an objective debate, if you will. And the other one is more of a subjective. There's so much more emotion in the the current debates as opposed to just having a strategic debate as it were in the past. I think the best way I have found to deal with it is in two regards. First of all, we've learned some very good advice from Francis Schaeffer, where we need to look at each individual that's in front of us and realize that the objections are different for each person. But when it comes to this regard, Schaeffer also taught us this idea of taking the roof off, which is this idea of looking at a person's worldview and showing how it's internally incoherent. And by doing that, you expose that worldview. It's like taking the roof off of somebody's house. You know, we have a hurricane going over right now. And if somebody ripped the roof off of my house, the water would come crashing in. So how do we engage with this regard? Here's why I think it's good. This person comes up and they say that the Bible is a morally inferior book because of X, Y, Z issue. But in the next vein or in the next room, they're going to argue for subjective morals or they're going to give this idea of the relativity of morals. So look at the issue that they've put themselves in. If all morals are relative, then wouldn't the Bible's view of morality be relative? But we know that what they're dealing with is, is they're not allowing us to say the Bible's views are relative in this regard because they're left in this situation of, they're saying the Bible's views are absolutely wrong. Mm. Well, by what standard? Okay. In one room, you're going to say that there are no bases for ethics. And the next room, you're going to say the Bible's morally wrong. Those cousins don't get along with one another. (laughs) There's a fight that's going on with it. In addition to it, not only is there an internal incoherence between the two claims, their worldview in and of itself cannot justify moral claims. And to borrow an analogy from Doug Wilson, of all people, whom I really like in this regard, he talks about, if I were to come up and I'm just going to pick the analogy, and I had a can of Mountain Dew and a can of Pepsi, and I would shake them up, open them up and set them right here. That's just a chemical reaction that's taking place. Mm. And as it sort of oozes over, We realize whatever it falls on, there's no moral responsibility going on there. It's just a chemical reaction. Well, in our day and age, if we as human beings are nothing more than chemical reactions and electrodes hitting more electrodes, whenever we do something, there's no way to say that's moral or immoral. However, they're going to make moral pronunciations over here. There's a massive incoherence. Their worldview cannot say that anything is morally right or wrong because we're nothing more than dust. We're nothing more than molecules reacting. So they're left with this 
massive internal incoherence. And what we have to do is we have to push that. We have to have them see that they don't just live in their world. They live in God's world. Mm. And whenever somebody would steal something from them, their reaction is going to show that they think that they're more than a, a bunch of chemicals. They're more than shaking up Mountain Dew on the, on the concrete in that sense. And what I found is, is that until we press the incoherence of the, the non-Christian's worldview, they can always give us a yeah, but, yeah, but kind of response. But when they see the internal incoherence and the absolute foolishness of their worldview, it silences the mouth of the critic. That's why in one sense, we need to answer the fool according to his folly and yet not answer the fool according to his folly. If we get caught up in his games and we live in his worldview and we don't press against it, we'll end in foolishness. But if we can pull the rug out from underneath him, expose the internal incoherence and show him that his worldview is false, it silences them. And then we can come to the point and proclaim the gospel with them in that regard. Okay. Because, you know, what's interesting is you're talking about that worldview, being able to demonstrate a better option, because like you said, you're talking about electrodes bumping into each other, what you're describing to me from a worldview standpoint, that's a very tough place to live. You're just kind of at the mercy of this planet spinning through space thousands of miles an hour. You don't have anything concrete to hold on to. And when you're able to bring in that worldview, they feel like the biblical text is something that's going to be bad for them, but in the long run, it's going to give them the stability they need. Yeah, what it ends up proving is, is that the biblical worldview is the only coherent worldview that's out there. It gives us all the things that they are longing for and all the things that make sense of reality. And yet their own worldview is incoherent in every regard. So I think what we need to do is two things. We need to show the incoherence of opposing worldviews, but an argument from the impossibility of the contrary, which is a loaded term, doesn't give us the full truthfulness of Christianity. I think we need to do negative apologetics and show something is false, but we also need to do a positive apologetic. And in many regards, we need to destroy the opposing worldview, and yet we need to give a positive apologetic for ours. Because as we all know, if I just tell you that you're wrong, that doesn't prove that I'm right. That's right. I still have the burden of proof upon me to prove that I am right in that regard. So I think one thing that we learned from Greg Kokel and his book on tactics is that as we're engaging people, our job isn't necessarily to convert the person on the spot. It's God's job to do that. And he right. brings a variety of means, but it is our job to put a pebble or a rock in their shoe. And if they're walking around for the rest of the day and every time they make a moral pronunciation and they realize I can't justify it, that's as annoying as having a big rock in your shoe as you're trying to walk around town. But after they realize that, Schaefer tells us that when a person's roof has been ripped off, it's the most dangerous time in their life because at that point they're completely, utterly exposed Mm. to the reality of the incoherence of the position they've held so dearly. And that's where the gospel comes in. It answers, it builds a new roof, a more sure foundation, a more sure roof above their head. And that's what apologetics tries to do. I'm so glad you said that because many people who are not a fan, let's just say you're a non-theist. And when you hear apologetics, you think, oh, those are the people who feel they're morally superior. They would just want to be right. They want to make themselves feel better at my expense by drawing me into some kind of debate and winning. 
And I love what you just said that it's not that I'm right or you're right. It's God. We're pointing them to the author and perfecter of our faith, the purpose and the hope for the world, not glorifying ourselves. It's about giving all the glory to God. Exactly. And that's what the Christian worldview calls us to do. And a lot of people, they'll look at us and they think that we're trying to act like we're morally superior when what we recognize is from the text of scripture, there's no one that's righteous. No, not one. And it's not that we're better people, but because of Jesus Christ, we're better off. And we're trying to communicate that message to people that it is a better thing to live within the guidelines of God's law and rule found in the text of Scripture. It is better to accept God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ alone than try to stand before the judge of all the world based off of your own merit and your own righteousness. Mm. And I think what it does is that should humble the apologist to realize there's really nothing better of us whenever we're going out there and engaging. But also it spurs us on because then we realize, as the old adage goes, we are nothing more than beggars teaching other beggars where to find bread. And that's in the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Mm, that's good stuff. Well, anyone who's ever had conversations, had to share difficult biblical passages with people that are maybe either growing in their faith or maybe they're non-theist, you know, one of the, uh, some people react to that in more of a defensive manner. So their tendency is to attack the Bible and uh, as opposed to dealing with what the text says and applying it, they're saying, well, I'm just going to refuse that because the Bible's just full of errors. You, know, you can go on Google and Google alleged errors in the Bible. What would you have to say to someone who's dealing in that situation? I would say, show me really, because in a previous era and what I'm really talking about is say, even like the Victorian era of European and American history, when you had the rise of theological liberalism, people were rejecting Christianity, but they were rejecting a Christianity that they actually knew. They were raised in confessional churches. They had most likely read the Bible to some degree, and they had a working knowledge of it. Whereas the people today, they're largely rejecting a version of Christianity that they know absolutely nothing about. So in many regards, when they say that there are errors in the Bible, they don't even know what the four Gospels are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, more or less what the inner workings of the text of Scripture are. So in that regard, it's almost just like this off-the-cuff knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, ah, the Bible's full of errors, but they can't actually show you where the errors are. So I think the burden of proof is on them. They've made the claim they need to show the error. And until somebody can actually show me the error, one, I don't have anything to refute because I'm not going to just give them supposed errors just for the fun of it. But two, I don't have the burden to respond to them. There's literally no claim that's been made at that point. So we live in an era today where in order to actually have a good objection against Christianity, they need to actually know what Christianity is. So one of the things that I try to do with people is ask them questions. What do you actually think Christianity is about? What do you really think you know, the gospel of John is about, like, what are the actual claims? And you get crickets from them. So it's a different apologetic age. People don't have this clear understanding of what Christianity is anymore. They have their, their ideas of it. And our first step is to actually say, no, you're just tearing down a straw man. That's not actually Christianity. So that's one of the big things that I've noticed. It's a change. It's a total change from even a generation or two in the United States. That's a great point because 
in addition to not being as familiar with the text, there's not that authority. There's not that reverence. There's not that respect that you would have had a generation or two ago towards the church, the Bible. Uh, in some cases, we are dealing with an era where Al Mohler says we've gone from being respected to pariahs, to people that are more, again, you said morally inferior to those others who don't believe. And what's interesting, as you said, even the atheism of a hundred years ago was more scholarly and they interacted with the biblical text and you could actually have actually fruitful rivalry conversations and actually just get thrown down and, and it was very informed. Whereas like say new atheism is more about being strident and it kind of took on that social media tone of almost kind of a bullying. It's going to create this narrative that the Bible bullies people. So we're just going to bully it back. And so how do we not get drawn into those type of situations and how do we keep our cool? I think we just got to remain in the text of scripture and when people start flinging mud at one another, we just have to stay out of it. Let them do that. Unfortunately, there's going to be enough people on the internet on our side who are going to do it from our perspective. And I think we just need to find platforms where we don't give Twitter responses to everything, where we can give larger, more coherent responses. And that might be done through blogs, that might be done through pamphlets, that might be done through shows like this, where we take more than 20 seconds to actually engage a topic. But ultimately, what it's going to do is it's going to have the local church be an outlet in which we are training people to think beyond the 20-second advert that's out there. And that's going to require not only a, a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, but a, a return to a robust understanding of the historic creeds and confessions of the church in that regard, where we realize that there are a variety of questions that are out there, and we have good answers to them already. We need to expand beyond just the, the happy Cohen, have my emotional Jesus moment, and have a robust theological understanding of Christianity, because we need it now more than ever. We're out of time, but we'll pick up this conversation on our next episode. This has been Lose Yourself. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a ministry of Grace Church and Mike Cunningham and a production of Key Radio.